You are now tuned in to The Gifted Gab. We're here, we're back, we're rolling. Another episode of The Gifted Gab. It's your boy Alex Eskandarku and I'm here with a special guest, Peter Sender. Thanks for having me, bro. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. Get a little core team blues out of my system, have a little face-to-face interaction. <laughs> Feels good, bro. It's a weird time, man. It is, man. It is. I'm trying to stay sane in these dark times. but Dark is one way, to, one way to put it. Yeah, bro. I mean, I've been lucky enough to work, found work out here, mm-hmm. went from CFL player to building a church. I'm in construction now, man. That's a crazy turnaround. Crazy turnaround. It went from like CFL to serb beneficiary to like building. But fucked up thing is that they're all pretty much the same paycheck. So, <laughs> 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 so you know, I gotta make it. A, I gotta find a way. So mm-hmm. yeah, bro. Yeah, I think everybody has been able, not been able to, but had to kind of just figure things out. You know, things have kind of just. The world came to a stop. Yeah, for sure, man. I remember I was uh, last, uh, I didn't really want to work during the off season. So I was just on my buddy's couch doing comedy, right? And I was out of the house every night. So I was, I mean, I wasn't making a lot, but I was making enough food, right? And to to work out and train and stuff. And uh, then like snap, everything shut down. I'm just playing video games on my buddy's couch. So it was just like this is the world from now on, so I had to get accustomed to it. But on top of that, you're in a place you've never been. True, Alberta, yeah. the, te- <laughs> the Texas of Canada, bro. Yeah, it is Texas of Canada. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what what are what are American people's perception of first of, of Canada? First of all, of Canada, it's always it's kind of like a naiveness, really. Like Americans don't think about much outside of America, especially Canada, because it's kind of just like the neighbor that's always been. It's like the most similar to us. Um, like a lot of the jokes are just so low of the bar and <laughs> just like so corny and stuff. But uh, I mean, it, but to a lot of Americans, it's a place with free health care. It's a place where. There's a lot of more like social blankets, safety nets for their citizens, um, especially with the pandemic hitting. Like a lot of Americans wished and wanted Canadian citizenship just in terms of unemployment benefits and their lives being uprooted. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the the conception of Canada is, I don't know, most Americans are kind of naive to everything that happens here. and. But at the same time, like, especially during the pandemic, definitely had more of a positive connotation to Americans than not, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And then with the pandemic happening, obviously, you said you're out of work. Yeah. It's different when you're a football player. Yeah. Well, the frustrating thing was, is that they just kept on postponing the start date. So they expected to start eventually like it's first was pushed back to june and then july then september and then they said by october that uh a bubble plan would be in place in winnipeg um we didn't end up getting the funding from the canadian government so that was all shut down but 
I mean, to most players, and especially talking to veterans about the situation, they weren't too confident that, like, a, a season was going to happen. So um, just kept training, just trying to keep my mind right during it. But at the same time, like, playing football and doing comedy, so your two m means of income are kind of taken away from you in a pretty abrupt way. Uh yeah, that was tough, but I mean, at the same time, that situation is not very unique. Like mm -hmm. this has affected everybody, so I mean, everybody's had to find a way to everybody to man figure it out. So, so how have you navigated in terms of the comedy? Uh, I know football, obviously, you just it's kind of a waiting game. Yeah, but what about for comedy, comedy, man? Actually, a big reason I moved back up was because mics were open, and. uh I thought Alberta was just going to have a giver type of mentality to this whole situation. So, um, and plus I liked it up here and I kind of felt bad about leaving like in the early parts of the pandemic. So kind of want to be back up here and comedy was going well when I left. So, um, well, shortly before I left, so wanted to get back up here. And so you went back when the pandemic started. Yeah. I, I went back in like May mm -hmm. and then, uh, Help my dad out with the house. He's trying to sell it. Got to see family, so it was nice. Um, but I don't know. I kind of just wanted to be away from home, pursue this comedy thing, and be in Edmonton. So I like that you're here. You know, I am, man. I like that you know you're you're here for football. Yeah. But you're like you know I want to do something else outside of the athletic thing, and I think that's something that the pandemic has forced everybody to kind of yeah, think about. Yeah. Whereas you were already kind of ahead of it. So how did that, you know, how did the pandemic kind of help you double down on comedy or f try to figure out a way to do I mean, shoot, man, I'm not going to lie. A lot of days were just sitting around being lazy and struggling with your inner dialogue, you know, um, which I mean, isn't new to any comedian. Like we kind of, we tend to have a reflective lens. So, um, so deal, dealing with just the regular anxiety and depression that was kind of caused with all of this and being away from people, not being able to stand up in front of a group of 50 people every night and tell jokes and write and get that response that like every comedian feeds off of. Um, but at the same time, it also made me focus on writing and kind of was a little more introspective with my work and wanted to come out with the best material and take old bits, polish them up. So when I was able to hit a mic, it was, I mean, it was like I never left. So that's kind of what happened. So you got to do that for around a month until it got re-shut down, right? So, I mean, just another challenge. It's not unique. I mean, it's affected a lot of people. So just trying to roll with the punches mostly. That's really all you can do. You could just, you got to figure out a way to adapt and, and exactly, bro. figure it out, right? But, you know, this year, 2020 was uh, an interesting year, to say the least. Uh, you know, people in Edmonton, you guys know. I don't know if you guys watched the news or not. But the Eskimos are actually changing the name. Or did oh. they actually, they changed it, right? Yeah, they <laughs> changed it. It's officially the Edmonton football team. Yeah. That's, that, <laughs> uh, like, in terms of, you know, the whole racial justice and everything that happened yeah. this year you know obviously it was a, a tough thing to witness tough thing to go through uh a lot of organizations not just edmonton eskimos you know the cleveland 
I don't know what the Cleveland team I is. I think they're still the I think they're still the Indians. I could be wrong. But I don't know if they changed it. The Washington Redskins changed their name. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they have a mascot. They might be the Red Wolves or something. But yeah, man, like for me, a lot of Western Canadians hit my DMs talking about, oh, what you feel about the name change, what you feel about the name change. And I guess my opinion is if like indigenous folks and native Inuits decided that Eskimo name was too offensive and presented it to the organization, and maybe that's happened in the past, I don't really know of it. Um, then I'm all for the name change, but it came from Bel Air Direct pulling their funding. Really? Yeah. So that's that's where the name change, to my the best of my knowledge, came from. Mm-hmm. So for me, I don't want to be that white dude that gets emotionally triggered about a possible <laughs> racist name change. Don't get me wrong; I don't want to be that guy. But at the same time, I'd rather it come from the indigenous people themselves as mm. opposed to a multi-billion-dollar corporation. Corporation yeah. that just wants to save face. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think uh, I think with the atmosphere right now, there's a lot of other people getting offended for people and this is part of the when you're talking about race and and you know racial justice and stuff like that one of the problems we see is that people want to help they want to be you know allyship but sometimes they let their voice get in the way of actual allyship in that example you know when indigenous people are saying hey we need a name change that's completely different from a corporation demanding a name change or, or, or that performative action. So yeah, I definitely 100% agree with you. No doubt, man. It's like during, um, so it's happened twice. It was during the season, during the bye week, and then during the off season, uh, two of our players both times. Um, the first time it's my buddy Ryan King, who's a long snapper, and then Godfrey Onyeka, who's uh, a cornerback. And uh, they went up to uh, – Inuvik Northwest Territories and other places around the Northwest Territories and like actually went to Inuit communities and talked and saw their customs and they said that that was like a really transformative experience for them um, and it was really cool and they're definitely aware of the name and how it could be offensive but at the time it was more so just about experiencing who we're named after pretty much Mm -hmm. and like the the Eskimo name comes from the Inuit people so I thought that was actually pretty cool um and I I definitely wanted to be a part of that trip if I don't know if that's gonna uh, probably cease to happen because we'll be changing our names to some Corny name that starts with an E, man. <laughs> <laughs> I Edmonton, don't know what Edmonton Football Club, <laughs> <laughs> or just keep it the Edmonton Football Club. I'm fine with that, but it has to be an E name because they don't want to change the the logo, the double E. So, oh really? Yeah, oh, man, I don't know, man. And like one of the top ones was the Edmonton Empire, which I was like, that makes no sense. You're mm-hmm. literally changing the name from a people that were oppressed to the people in charge of the oppressing. (laughs) Like, where's the fucking logic here, man? (laughs) So me personally, I want it to be the Edmonton Elks. Edmonton Elks? It's lame, but it's, you know what? It's unique to Western Canada. We got Elks here in Western Canada? Yeah, we got, I think we got, yeah, we got Elks. 
we got a lot of moose, man. I never saw a moose until I started working my job. I work outside of Stony Plain. <sighs> There's moose. There's <sighs> moose. There's deer. Golly, dude. Elk. I, I didn't know an animal could be that big. I was just driving home. I was uh, stopping at one of my coworkers' place in St. Albert, and he has a big truck. I got, like, this Mazda SUV, so he's driving. I just see a moose right on the shoulder, and then the moose decides to fuck off. And I asked him later, and he's like, I didn't even see it, and it was about to strike me, man. I was... <laughs> I ain't never had any white White knuckling like the steering wheel, so hopefully I won't stumble into... A moose? Many of those. Man, uh, Edmonton is uh, Alberta. Just being in this neck of the woods is a little different. Obviously, you're from the East Coast, Midwest, Midwest, Great Lakes region. If That's we're not being specific. East? It? It's not the East Coast. It's like, I mean, it's, it's east of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, it's definitely yeah, east Midwest, of here yeah. for sure. I feel what you're saying. Yeah. So you know, with the whole Michigan, yeah. Michigan's a big football football place no yeah for sure what was the culture like playing in michigan and man i started football because it was kind of the cool thing to do man you know like going out friday night games high school games um cheerleaders fans going crazy just the adrenaline that feeling that's kind of what initially stuck and was the foundation of my love for the game you know um where in Canada, that's not so much the case. Like, if you grow up playing football in Canada, you really need to love football because 100%. no one's watching you and it's minus 10 outside <laughs> and you're freezing your ass off, man. It's like, so I got all the respect for, like, Canadians that started the game young. Their goal was, their dream was to play in the CFL and they reached it and been lucky enough to uh, experience to befriend a few of those type of dudes. And uh, no, was, my experience in the CFL has been really cool, man. It's been rocky, obviously, well, with the pandemic and just my first season not exactly going the way that I wanted it to go. Um, but at the same time, you just kind of have to remember where your love of the game comes from. And it's kind of has to push you through your training, even though you don't know when the start date's going to be again, you know? Mm -hmm. No, I can I can only imagine. That's, that's one thing about this year is it's forced people to either turn and look to new things or look at the, whatever they're doing in the moment and say, oh, it's, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to maintain this? How am I going to sustain this? And it's interesting because, you know, with football, there's a lot of conversation with football, obviously with the NFL. You know, they stopped. Now they're playing again. But the, the conversation regarding the social justice conversation around football, you know, with uh, Colin Kaepernick and what he was doing, you know, the, the plantation infrastructure of football, you know, how do you how do you think it compares the infrastructures compare Canada and America? Well, I'm not saying that it doesn't exist, but I haven't seen the same brand of racism towards especially black people in Canada. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that it doesn't exist, but in the States, that's just something that's ingrained. Um, in the system. In the system and just in pop culture and just kind of everything, man. Like growing up, I, I'm from like a very predominantly white town. Um, and I was, I was like super unaware of race until I got into like middle school. And I remember vividly, man, it was like a crazy experience. I was in seventh grade 
and we were playing a team um, from Highland Park, Michigan, which is an enclave of Detroit, which is an all-black school. And they were coming off the bus, and their fans were walking in, and their players were walking in. And there was just like a crowd just watching. I mean, to us, it's kind of was, I guess, a kind of a different experience just being from predominantly white area and seeing like a team that's all black. And then from the crowd, I start hearing the N-word. I start hearing like coon. I start hearing like a bunch of racial epithets. I'm like, whoa, I was not expecting that at all, man. <laughs> and it was like, and although I was young, I was still like so embarrassed that like people that were around me and who I considered my peers just snapped into just the classic racism that you expect from a rural country community in the States. And I wasn't expecting it. And plus my town had like a really bad racial past. Um, like during the eighties, the grand dragon of the KKK like lived just north of my town in a tiny village called Cahokta. So like being aware of that and being like seeing a KKK auction that happened in your town, like while you're in middle school, it's like that formulates and thank God I had good parents and they kept me grounded and tried to experience, they tried to put me in different experience with different type of people. So I wasn't one to cling to those stereotypes or those beliefs, but just experiencing that from a young age, I'm like, damn, this shit's really not dead yet. And it's alive and well in certain communities. Um, granted, what I've seen since I've been back, I don't go back home a lot. Uh, it's, a, it's trending better, but just experiencing that growing up, it was definitely a shot of humility, especially when you grow up in a place where you're like, oh, this is a good place. This is a good place to raise a family. And then you see that right when it's right when your community experiences something that's a little different makes you step back and reevaluate kind of things man. yeah it's it's interesting because you know i find that i mean living in canada i i've been to america as well and the racism in america is much more explicit it's it's like you were saying in your face people shouting obscenities where in Canada, it's much more so implicit, it's nuanced, it's not so much in your face. But it's interesting that you bring up that, you know, there was a, a KKK auction by where you were growing up. Because, you know, Edmonton has had a fair share of, you know, uh, KKK influence. I don't want to say the word influence, yeah. but, you know, it's... From the places I've been in Canada, Alberta is definitely the most states-like. It's definitely the most conservative I've been to. Um, so, like, to, I saw, you see the Boxing Day protests that were, like, happening in Calgary. <laughs> like, I'll, like, everything that happens in the States is going to happen in Canada just, like, three months later. That's, that's how it goes. And it's probably happening in Alberta, man. I remember, I was just walking down 109th Street and I saw a bunch of anti-maskers with canadian flags and chanting over a loudspeaker I'm like man this just reminds me of back home that's kind of crazy that yeah that's that's crazy that you draw that parallel to because people always say that oh canada we're not like we're not like the states and we're not but you come to alberta <laughs> yeah. you will see differently you know i think the, the whole anti-masker thing is just 
it's hilarious it's it's yeah it's something it's uh it's something else man it, but what i i mean i have just in regular conversation i'd say racism towards black people in the states is much more akin to racism towards indigenous people absolutely. in canada absolutely um especially with the legacy of like residential schools and all the parallels that came from after slavery was done and from like uh, I don't know the correct term precisely, but pretty much being able to get free labor because of arresting people mm-hmm. after slavery the was indus- done. The, what's it called uh, in America? The prison industrial complex. Yeah, the in, uh, yeah the prison industrial complex, and so I've I've seen more parallels with that, and I, I mean, um, being in a place like Edmonton, it was the first time that I was around a large indigenous population because in the states in the cities i've never really noticed a large indigenous population maybe if you go out west like new mexico or like colorado maybe but um like in edmonton it was like i didn't even when i was on the bus coming from the airport to the eskimo facility i wasn't even aware that they were native people i just it sounds so fucked, but my first thing was just like I didn't know Mexicans were up here. I was like fucking idiot, like that's not <laughs> <laughs> like no, it's like so yeah. yeah no. But uh, I've I've had a, like cool experience, and I've had a lot of cool conversations around that. I actually did a gig for it was a fundraiser for um, I think it's pronounced Wet'suwet'en, mm-hmm. and it was uh, the protests against the pipeline in BC, and pretty much it was a fundraiser for uh, legal funds for people that got arrested from mm-hmm. that. So I thought that it, it was kind of a weird paradox that I was playing for a team called Edmonton Eskimos <laughs> but I was performing at a fundraiser for indigenous people's rights so it's interesting how all just it's like a bizarre world in a sense man how everything overlaps and yeah and the parallels and, and racism and I've talked to I mean as going back to the Eskimo name I've talked to indigenous people that like couldn't care less and like actually think it's cool because there's a mascot or there is a team named after indigenous peoples of Canada and that'd be the only one. Um, but then I've also talked to other people that are like, no, that's not the appropriate term. So, I mean, it's yeah, it's messy business, but it's very know, messy. It's I've, I've, I've been able to experience both sides, which is cool. Um, I'd love to have more conversations about that if they change the name and everyone forgets about it sooner than later, then I don't know, maybe it doesn't uh, put the conversation up at the forefront. Mm-hmm. I think the conversation is necessary. You know, I think when, we, when we're talking about the treatment of indigenous people in Canada, you know, I think that conversation wasn't happening for a long time and then it it started happening again and it, it goes in like waves you know yeah. um but yeah they they need reparations man like it's it's crazy what they've been through uh you know how this land was stolen from them you know i when i compare america and canada i would say okay well america they came and they committed genocide wiped yeah out it was more the genocide, the genocide route, yeah. So yeah they took a genocide route and then 
what they did was they brought black people from Africa over here. You know what I'm saying? Which is like a whole other shit. But here in Canada was like they came and they bamboozled indigenous people and 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 just kind of tried to go over their heads and it was it's 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 very very ugly ugly business. Yeah, know? I was just watching a documentary today about Tecumseh. Uh so the um it's crazy Canada's existence is largely thanked to or is largely based on Tecumseh and the federations of his Native Americans defending Canada, newly found British Empire, but newly found Canada from American expansionism like expansionism. So it it's crazy that like Canada got a huge helping hand from indigenous people right from its formation, but then a hundred years later not even and to all the way up to i think 96 was the most recent yeah. residential school 96 yeah. that uh the government was systematically oppressing them into residential schools and using the rcmp to enforce that so i mean a lot of especially in the states people don't think about canada having a dicey racial uh, past racial past right um but I mean, there was indigenous people up here too, and when it clashed with the crown, it's it's like whoever was more powerful at the time kind of won, and they were subjected into horrible sacrifices or in like horrible um, situations. Um, I was actually just one of my friends out here. Her dad was the premier of the Northwest Territories. Oh, really? And her grandma, who recently passed. Um, she like grew up in Inuvik and she was a part of the residential schools and she had children with two different men. One was um, like a, a white man because of residential school. So it wasn't a consensual marriage. So he, she had to have her, her family with him and then half with another indigenous person. So just knowing that it's that recent and this woman's the same age as me, it's not even a generation removed. That's what I'm saying, man. It's, and her, I mean, her dad wasn't the product of it, but I mean, people in power that were in product of like rape and genocide in uh, residential schools, it's wild that that's that recent. Mm-hmm. But uh, And the trickle down effect, even though like the trickle down effect doesn't have to be that recent. Yeah. You know, like people don't realize that these kind of systems have effects for generations not just one generation not just two generations like four or five six generations no doubt man um uh, our buddy kyle kniff he's a comedian in edmonton um he's a indigenous comedian <laughs> he has a funny joke poking fun at, at it he says uh it's like yeah i'm kyle and i'm i'm native um yeah, I, that means that I probably won't get hired for a job, but I qualify for a ton of grants. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> like, bro, you silly, man. <laughs> that's the beauty of comedy, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the thing, man, is that just with a simple joke like that, it's, oh no, it's kind of reflective with how, how, it, how it is and how it shouldn't be, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, I got a lot of. I wasn't expected to uh, run into this much like culture up here. Um, to be honest, like I live on 107 Ave, so um, 
You were downtown? Yeah. So, I mean, just – and that's the cool thing about Canada and it differs with the states is that the states, it's there's a culture of like a melting pot, right, it's to where groups that immigrate into the states can keep their identity – a little bit, but at the same time are both are supposed to assimilate into American culture. Where in Canada, I've noticed that a lot of different part, pockets of the city is like the culture seems for the most part, granted, it's always cold, like way colder than where people <laughs> originally come from because mm. it's like the coldest country on earth. But at the same time, you go to different parts of the city, it's like concentrated of one yeah and it, and it seems like they're more um incentivized or encouraged to kind of keep their own culture as opposed to assimilate into a canadian mm -hmm. type culture i find i find that too uh you know i grew up in toronto so there was always pockets of communities there's pockets of persians over here pockets of you know italians over here there's the portuguese there's the jamaican community the african community like there's it's very compartmentalized i find yeah. in canada as well even when you come out to the western uh, side of the country and i don't know what michigan is like i've never been actually i've been to detroit but i haven't been you know i've not like wandered around and seen yeah i mean michigan it's a good state uh, the cities run into trouble because they're your cliche Rust Belt Midwestern cities. So when automation happened, um, a lot of population flight, like moved to the suburbs. I mean, white flight was a huge problem in Detroit. Um, I'm not super well versed on like the riots that happened in '68, um, but there has, I mean. One, it's America, so those tensions between white and black folks is natural. But two, a lot of times, um, like with zoning rights and with when people who started move from the south up to the north um, to fill jobs, um, especially after like uh, FDR's New Deal, which incentivized people to work. Um, there's a lot of housing discrimination, which I mean, residually is still felt today mm -hmm. in certain pockets like in Detroit the one of the biggest differences the income disparity from like neighborhood to neighborhood can be outrageous you know um so and we're in Canada you don't see as much just insane wealth in Canada but at the same time there is a lot more income equality mm -hmm. and uh no you brought on an interesting point where you were talking about just, you know, when people lose their jobs and the safety nets and stuff like that. You know, I think Canada does do a good job of having that. You know, I think in the pandemic with everything that happened, I think Canada probably handled the best out of all the countries in terms of economy, safety nets, individuals, you know, people being able to get money from the government like that stuff didn't happen in america yeah no one lost health care in canada because of the pandemic it's like a lot of people in america lost it when at the same time that's when you need it the most right um so yeah i remember i came back and i was talking to this woman in michigan and she was saying that 
she went she thought she had covid she went to the hospital they didn't test her they just gave her some tylenol and her bill was like six hundred dollars for just for a visit you know for a tylenol yeah you could have given yourself a tylenol that's what i'm saying man so there's obviously horror stories like that um so yeah canada definitely dealt with it better like the two grand a month for people that lost their jobs like that's incredible Mm -hmm. compared to the 1200 at the very beginning and that was it the 600 now it's like damn yeah it's wild that's 1800 dollars where during the pandemic as opposed to I mean, of course, there was like state unemployment and there was federal unemployment stuff, but it's just not as equal and as well dispersed as it is in Canada. Mm-hmm. So yeah. how, how do you find uh, the talent level in this, the difference between CFL and NFL? Well, man, like football is hockey in Canada or in the States, right? So mm-hmm. like or hockey is like football in Canada. So it like just culturally football is very ingrained into the States. And I remember it's like a young kid just like playing in the backyard, making catches, just imagining myself making those catches like at college or in the pros, right? So, um, and there's just so much more people and the competition is just so much, I mean, to be real, better. So, like, yeah, there is more talent that comes from the States and stuff. But there are Canadians that can play, especially now that dynamic's changing with, like, Chase Claypool, who plays for the Steelers. He's going off. Uh, Chuba Hubbard from uh, Sherwood Park. He's going to be an NFL player. So, Javon Couture over at uh, BC. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, even, like, uh, Laurent from – Montreal who plays in KC so there definitely is a lot of talent in even in the CFL um but I mean there's just so much more people in the states mm-hmm. and culturally football's way bigger so there's bound to be a lot more talent mm-hmm. is there a lot of options for football because I know with basketball there are so many every country's yeah. league yeah you know what I mean I mean there are international options like say Japan or Germany and stuff but that's very much like semi-pro football you have a day job on top of it while you're playing so um pretty much just for like professional football where that's solely what you're doing it's the nfl cfl and whatever league the america decides to have every year that is it seems to have go like eight <laughs> games and then get shut down. <laughs> like I, I had some buddies that played in the um, AFL that they were like on week eight and they were staying in a hotel and they just played a game. Didn't get the game check, said they had to leave. They had to be out of the hotel by 11 a.m. They just woke up to it like they had the leagues dissolved. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, if you don't go the route of like – top d1 to pro to the nfl it's still going to be a struggle but if you want to make it and you have to go through uh, a lot of times some of these leagues like the afl or the cfl it's definitely a grind financially and physically emotionally i mean all the aspects of the game right but i mean that's ultimately the end goal is to end up in the league right yeah you know with uh i want to bring uh Kaepernick, you know, he came back into the spotlight. 
a lot of Americans' sentiment, it was really, really polarizing thing. People yeah. were like, this guy's kneeling. Some people were like, he's disrespecting the flag. Some people were like, you know, like when I saw it, I was like, yo, this is protesting. This yeah. is, you know what I'm saying? Um, if your teammate was to do something like that, you know, what would you, how would you like? Man, I'd, I'd support it. Like from the beginning, I just think a lot of mostly white people, exclusively white people just misunderstood what he was kneeling for. Um, a lot of people don't know. He actually went to a veteran mm-hmm. of the armed forces before uh, he did it. And his original plan was to stay in the locker room while uh, the the national anthem. He asked this veteran, I think his name, I forgot what his name was, but he was like, no, I, I'd feel, understand your protest. I just feel more comfortable if you took a knee. So that's what he did. So he literally <laughs> consulted <laughs> someone who was in the armed forces and then these fat dudes that drink Budweiser and just want to <laughs> be a part of some fucking tribe decides that he's spitting on the American flag. It's like, no, you're misconstruing what he's saying because what he's saying shatters your perception of American exceptionalism. And so that's the only reason why you are against what he's doing, mm-hmm. which I don't know. I, I was able to smell through the bullshit pretty quickly in terms of that. Um, but I think it's important, man. Like if you're going to play a game that has been that like black people have really turned into a gr- like this that, that wasn't right F- football has been benefited by black athletes for so long and to even get into the game in the first place the barrier entry for so long was so against them but at the same time they were able to come into the league and change a lot of perceptions just from how they could play mm-hmm. and being making plays for their team so like even right now it's still happening that's what i'm saying man so like black athletes are very important to the game of football especially so things that are affecting them and issues that are affecting their communities that they come from should be spotlighted should be put into the public realm of conversation just because i don't know that's the right thing to do Mm -hmm. like so like you can't really be in a locker room at a college level without interacting with people that are different from you come from a different socioeconomic background than you so i I think it was important and if i was in the nfl at that time i probably would have took a knee i think Mm -hmm. i don't know like that definitely would have been a game time decision and can't really play with it hypothetically but i don't know I think it was from the very beginning, it was polarized when it really shouldn't have been. Yeah, I, I felt like it was. A, it, most people, like you and me sitting here, would say, yeah, that's a no brainer. You know, like the guy wants to speak out. It's a peaceful protest. Yeah. Right? And the problem is, you know, when you speak out on things and it polarizes things, people are going to have the. You're going to have the two extremes. Yeah. Right? You're going to have the people who hate it and don't understand it. And usually people fear what they don't know. Yeah. People fear what they don't understand. And are there going to be athletes that do it because that's the cool thing to do? That's how society's leaning? Of course. 
-hmm. Like, yeah, but that doesn't take away from the initial position that he was taking or the initial message that he wanted to convey. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's just a bunch of old rural white people getting mad for no reason pretty much. Sounds like Alberta. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like Alberta, man. I mean, I've seen a few clips where I'm like, man, that just just on social media, like Calgary events or what have you, just about racist shit. That's just like why like a Confederate flag in Alberta. (laughs) Like, dude, you're you're rooting for a loser, not even from your country, bro. What are you doing? If you want a similar sentiment but be geographically appropriate. Just fly an RCMP flag, man. That's all, <laughs> <laughs> that's all you need to do. <laughs> and there, you see them everywhere. Like they are really common in Alberta. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird. It's just it's the rebel. Men- like I'm from an area where there's like I'll see a decent amount of rebel flags, right? And it's just it's so dumb. And it, if you <laughs> I like I just I I really don't even it's just such a lack of there's like no it's not racist it's a sign of rebellion it was like mm, a rebellion so they could preserve racism and slavery if that's what you're flying and that flag is outdated by like <laughs> I was like bro you literally are lining up in the store to buy the latest iPhone but you can't throw away that 150 year old flag go fuck yourself bro. <laughs> That's how I feel about it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? There will still be some people that will defend it. And, and uh, it's just stupidity has no limits. No, no, it you doesn't, know, dude. Has, it has no limits. I, I can't, I, I, I've always wanted to know what people's perspective was on that, like an American perspective, because yeah. it's, it's something that was accepted in America. And like you said, it's, you're rooting for the losing team. It's like being a Cowboys fan. It's like that's what I'm saying. It's like being a Lions fan. <laughs> I'm a Lions fan. It's funny because, like, my buddy, the Panthers beat the Lions. My buddy was texting me, talking shit. He's like, "Yeah, your team sucks." I'm like, "Dude, we know. Like, we've <laughs> always have sucked. Like the Browns and the Lions are literally the same team, just from different <laughs> shitty Rust Belt cities. Like, what can you do, man?" You've been to Toronto. Yeah. I've been to T-Dot. I fuck with T-Dot, man. Yeah? Yeah. I like Toronto. My buddy, uh, Natea Jay, he plays for the Argos. He used to play for the um, the former Eskimos. He was talking. They would just always do Toronto accents, and I didn't really <laughs> – I didn't have that frame of reference, you know? And then I just heard him go, yeah, eh? <laughs> I was like, there is no group of people that does that. That is not an acceptable. That's not a word. That's not a sound. That's not. And then I took a Greyhound bus to hit up Toronto. I did four shows in a night. I took it from Ann Arbor, Michigan to Toronto. This was, it was during the bye week. So it was like in September, I think. I was on the bus, like just got back from Pearson, airport going to dundas hall um dundas square and like right i was about to put my headphones on this dude greeted his buddy dabs him up he's just like i was like this dude wasn't lying it was actually a thing man 
<laughs> but no, I, I like the Toronto accent. It's it's cool. It's, it's like funny. a it's like a bastardized version of like Jamaican, British, and American it, all it's into a, one. It's a re- it's a nice it's and a Cana- well yeah definitely Canadian too. Um, so but uh, even on top of that, man, Toronto is just a cool city. I yeah. hope to. I think my next move I really want to make is like. It'd be awesome, like, and I hope that I go far in comedy, and, like, I'd love to do it in L.A. or New York. But, like, I'd really like to see what Texas was about. I don't know why. I just kind of think I'd like Texas or Toronto. Like, I think Toronto would be a cool next move. Hey, Um, man, Toronto girls love American guys. That's true. So, I mean, you might have a – you'd have a fun time over there. Yeah, Albertans don't hate them either. Albertan women tend to like American guys too. So, I mean, grass is always greener on the other side. That's what I'm saying, man. You know, do you think Toronto could have an NFL team one day? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the Raps are pretty big, and um, like they got the Blue Jays, and I. That's a hard question, though. Just. I think there is enough NFL support in Canada for it to happen because, like, with the zone and NFL Canada and stuff, there's definitely – there's probably more NFL fans than there are CFL fans. Don't quote me on that, but if I had to guess, I think they could sustain an NFL team. Yeah. I think that would be a cool look. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the only league we don't have – like, major league yeah. that we don't have a sport in. But – yeah, I heard I heard some sort of rumor that the CFL, if Canada can't figure out its provincial laws and stuff in terms of quarantine and how they're going to have the season, that they might have the CFL in the states, which I think that's just a rumor. But it sounds would, like a mess. Yeah, for sure. I mean, CFL's running out of money in Canadian. That exchange rate's not good, man. <laughs> Like, if you're bankrupt in Canadian, you shouldn't move to the States. <laughs> uh, that's basic economics. <laughs> that's, just, that's just me. Yeah, the CFL financially is not in a great space, even before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Like, most of the teams weren't profitable. So, yeah, the the future of the league is dicey. Hopefully, they can figure it out. Um, I know culturally, especially in Western Canada, like, it is big and um, – being a part of the Edmonton um, football club organization. There's a lot of support, local support, and, I mean, the fan base is awesome. So I'm rooting for it to – I mean, my gut feeling is that it's going to pull through and we're going to have a season in 2021. Um, So just hoping for that. Hmm. If you had to pick a name for the Eskimos. Sorry, Edmonton football club. My my buddy OG – Calvin McCarty, fullback for uh, the former Eskimos. He came up with on Twitter the Edmonton El Caminos. So I'm thinking I'm going with the El Caminos. El Caminos? Yeah. Elk? No, just El, Cam- El Camino, like, the, like car. the car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because for some reason, it's my favorite car. I love though, that car too. Yeah, it's dope, man. I, would like, I want them to make them again. And I don't know why. It's just like such a dope concept, but I seen somebody cut cut the back out of a Tesla to kind of make it like a Tesla. That's it. It's it a sick idea. I, I'm I'm a fan of the El Camino. 
an Elon Camino. <laughs> <laughs> that was so bad. I tried. That's just go. We have to, you know, let 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 Elon know. Hey, we got an idea for <laughs> we Tesla. Got an idea, man. You're not rich enough. You're number two in the world rankings. You know what would push you past Bezos? An Elon Camino. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing. Uh, you know, with everything going on with the pandemic and stuff, you know. People are starting to realize that, okay, maybe Canada took the step and said, yo, you know, we're going to invest in renewable energy more. You know, I don't know if you heard. Uh, I know being from Michigan, you know, talking about the Rose Belt and stuff, it's a, that's. Yeah. So actually, uh, a weird connection that Albertan Oil and Michigan have is that uh, a pipeline for Enbridge. Um, I'm not, do you know Enbridge? Yeah, no, Enbridge or, yeah, yeah. yeah. So a pipeline goes through the Mackinac Straits. So in Michigan, there's two peninsulas. There's a lower peninsula shaped like a mitten, and then there's an upper peninsula, and then there's a little strip of water that separates Lake Huron with Lake Michigan. And like the Great Lakes in Michigan, it's huge. It's like a huge part of our cultural mm -hmm. identity and a bunch of business, tourism, fishing, shipping, all sorts of things. And... Uh, if that pipeline ever, it goes underneath the Straits of Mackinac, that's what the body of water is called. And if that ever leaked, that would cost Michigan billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. So our governor in November, I think, ordered it to shut down. So, uh, yeah, I'm all for renewable energy, but I'm also a realist if we're not able to, I think, the push and um financial incentives coming from the federal and either state or provincial levels are huge but um like i said i'm also a realist and understand that it's not sustainable yet a lot of the social programs that allow canada to be the place that it is is because of albertan oil mm -hmm. you know um so, and I know a lot of, I'm working in the work that I work in now, like uh, construction and stuff. I've met a lot of people that worked on the rigs and they're, the first they'll say, fuck Trudeau, and then they'll say, save the oil, you know? So, um, like, I understand both sides of the argument. It's just, I think you have to look at your society long-term and what's the best is it better for us to transition out of oil or just to fucking double down and keep drilling so i mean you gotta it, i think you gotta diversify yeah you know you gotta slowly start looking for the other yeah alternatives and i'm not i'm not an expert on it at all but that kind of seems to be like the most reasonable thing try to transition jobs away from oil to more renewable energy mm -hmm. but it's a hard sell for a lot of people especially in alberta especially people that uh just got that oil rig job and went out and bought a $150,000 truck, shut down the fields, they're going to have to turn that thing back in. And for most of them, that's a major part of their identity. So, I think that's that's a big part of what you just said. Is it's so ingrained in that identity. You know, Alberta's identity is you know, oil and gas, you know, that rural, like, yeah. blue-collar. Man, I wish that oil workers were like more politically correct it's like someone you're like yeah i'm rooting for the oilers and then they're like that name's unacceptable i'm a drill technician <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i 
Like, I wish that that existed, man. <laughs> I, I, I wish politically correct oil workers were a thing. And then I also wish oil working financial advisors were a thing. They're just like, fuck, man, here's the deal. When you first get your first check from uh, oil fields, you're going to want to invest in yourself. And that means a new F-150. <laughs> and you know what? If you fall back on payments, yeah, I think your family needs a couple of skidoos. <laughs> you're going to have to work a little harder, you know. But uh, I don't know. Renewable energy is a little outside my wheelhouse, but um, shit. I would, man, I want to have like a mini house in the bush and like solar powered and shit like that. So I'm all for it. But at the same time, I don't got a Tesla. Not yet. I'm with a Mazda SUV. So hey, Tesla, hey, man, Tesla's next. I mean, Porsche just came out with their. I just know. saw that they're bigger than Toyota, Honda, Ford, GM, and another one all combined yeah that shit is wild to me and you know what's the crazy part tesla's not mass produced yet yeah you know tesla is not at uh a level where they're just pumping out cars yeah like like, like toyota like you know honda like mercedes-benz yeah those those companies have had their i mean supply infrastructure for generations now and tesla's just came onto the scene man it's impressive it's very impressive so imagine you know i think that's what the big boom is when they can secure that kind of infrastructure where they can just supply a whole yeah. gang of teslas which means the cost will probably go down too and uh i'm a fan what we'll what see. what do you think the cfl needs to do to you know make it more sustainable because i think what covid did is showed that a lot of businesses that were fringe businesses yeah. that operate not making too much profit yeah it exposed them yeah you know so where does the cfl in your experience have to make up to become that profitable thing because people in canada do love sports yeah for the biggest part that really affected the cfl and was one of the main reasons that they couldn't have a season was because Ticket sales are a huge driver for the CFL. Like the CFL doesn't have broadcasting. As, as big as a broadcasting deal with TSN as say the NFL does with the NFL Network, with CBS, yada, yada, yada. So that's one key that's very crucial is somehow increase viewership. Um, where in the summertime, it like when there's not I mean, there's like baseball stuff, but besides, I mean, hockey's not really playing. Basketball is just kind of starting. American football hasn't started yet. And I don't know how, it, like, the viewership, um, but it seems like it's a good alternative for that late spring into summer, mm -hmm. into fall for people to get behind it. And if every team was like the Riders, if every team was like the – Edmonton Football Club if every team was like the Winnipeg Jets then you'd have a thriving league that could probably pay its players better have probably have better benefits but at the same time have a functioning league but on out east like Montreal organizationally isn't great 
Toronto Argonauts doesn't pull in a lot of money, although even being from Toronto, like uh, Hamilton Ticats, they're kind of the standard out east in terms of organization and the money they bring in and the fan base, right? Um, so I think the argument is more cultural than financial. Like I think that's what should have been – put to the forefront when they were trying to secure funding from the national government. Um, a lot, at least from my perspective, it seemed like the league was trying to say, Hey, can we get this loan? It will be a financial benefit to everyone. We'll be able to work things out where in reality, it's more so a cultural benefit. Like the CFL, if I'm not mistaken, is older than the NFL. So especially in Western Canada, it's like really important and um, like deep rooted. So I'd say, hmm, I don't really have the answer, man, but, uh, I think it's definitely important to try to increase viewership. Maybe even like in the newer communities, I was kind of just thinking about that. Like, uh, uh, like you have, you have the foundation, which is like, um, like standard Western Canadians, like generational Canadians, um, trying to appeal the sports to a lot of newcomers. Like a crazy fact about Canada, I think a fourth of Canadians are born from outside the um, country, which wow. like when I heard that, I was like, that blew my mind. I thought that was like a really impressive st statistic. Um, so I just, I guess the key is just to make sure that, culturally like with the youth if Canada deems football as being an important part of their cultural identity which it's definitely second tier behind hockey but I mean mm -hmm. it's that's natural you know um so I think the major key is just continuing continuing community outreach and especially to the youth to get people playing football and to have an alternative to hockey where I mean for me it's like my parent I came from like a lower middle class background so like hockey was out of the picture but like football basketball those types of things were those were the sports that I gravitated towards just because I mean it was available and they were popular and they were a big part of I don't know life in Michigan um it's a pretty big sports state so I think really the key is just outreach especially mm -hmm. with the youth what lessons have you taken from football that translate to comedy? I'd say the biggest is compartmentalizing fear. Is like understanding that fear exists and that you're kind of going into... Uh, I mean, football is the ultimate game of unknowns. You have so many flying parts, moving parts that you could really realistically get injured on every single play. This is you could die. Yeah, yeah, you could you could yeah, you could get schlepped and never come up for sure. So for me, it's it's kind of being aware of that, but through practice, through hard work and just through mental fortitude, you fight through it. I mean, my first time hopping on stage, I was terrible, but I got that itch I got the itch of the crowd responding to me and I wasn't funny, but I had a few laughs and I was like, okay, there's the foundation. How do I incrementally build these laughs into a good five minute set? And then once you hit that 
10 minute set, seven minute set. Once you hit that 10 minute set, 15, 25, and then once you hit 25, then you can actually start being a working comedian, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say the biggest part is just facing your fears and improving on um, improving on yourself. It's just you're not in competition with the opponent. You're mostly in competition with yourself because you only play them for 60 minutes, but you train for mm-hmm. weeks on end, right? Hours, countless hours. Exactly. So I'd say that's pretty much the biggest importance or the biggest uh, parallel from football to comedy. And d- completely different uh, sensation, like completely different, uh, like with football, um, like it's physical fear, it's physical uh, competition. It's also mental, mm-hmm. but I mean, with comedy, it's like it's just a it's a freaking mosh pit of emotions and self doubt and like just trying to read a room that type of thing like you're just dealing with so much internally but if you can kind of accept that as existing but at the same time going on stage and making people laugh it's i mean it's Mm -hmm. what you got to do you know i like you said something self-talk you know is it more about drowning out the outside voices or is it more about drowning out the inside voice for me it's always been the inside voice man um it's like uh, outside voices is like, okay, like it feels good when someone says you're good or it feels bad when someone says that you're shit. But, I mean, they're not there when you're putting in the hours of work like you and your mind are, right? So it's like you can either tough it out, you can lock yourself in the room, make yourself right for two hours, you can make sure that you're in the best state of mind to attack the workout that's going to benefit you in the long run and going to be able and is going to make you be able to perform at a level that other people aren't so if you're not able to positively self-talk yourself through that and able to get through that then you kind of already lost the battle but at the same time there's stages like even though you messed up once your mess up doesn't define you. It's how you respond to it, right? And, I mean, I'm not perfect. I've definitely missed worked outs throughout my years. Um, and I missed gigs where I shouldn't just because I was in a slump, what have you. But it's how you respond to that and not making that the norm. That's really important to self-growth and improvement as a whole. The bounce back is what's important, right? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. So man, tell us, tell us where we can, where can we find your comedy? Where can we, you know, tap in? Man, I'm not too. Uh, the production has been slacking mm-hmm. uh, for me. Uh, my uh, socials are uh, Instagram's Pete Sender, Twitter's Pete Sender. If you want to just see stupid rants about dumb shit, go on my Twitter and hopefully get a laugh. Um, and then I'll, just, I'm gonna start like producing youtube shows and stuff stuff like that once uh once i have everything aligned um my approach to comedy has been more so 
I haven't been in a rush with it, man. Like the most important thing has for me is just to be good on stage as opposed to have a large social media following. So hopefully the second part falls through and or hopefully that it catches up. But um, yeah, so hopefully I'll be posting more content as we go on. Peace, no, Pete Sender. I love that. I, I, I checked. Uh, you were opening for Nima. And I've said to him, like, you know, said to Andre, this cat's hilarious and he's not from here. Those are the two yeah. things right away. It was like, yeah, you know, so I liked your stuff. I think everybody will. You know, I think people are going to listen to this and hear. One thing I always say about comedians is you got to be really smart to be a comedian. You know, and I think in, in the conversation, easily you can see that, you know, it takes a certain lens to be able to look at serious events or dumb events or whatever it have you, what have you. And shed a different light yeah. on that, you know? Yeah, man. Uh, and cool thing is, being in Edmonton, you got a lot of people, like, uh, you had Sterling on. I think Sterling's one of the best comedians in Canada. So just being in the same scene as him and doing the same rooms that he does and learn how he is able to interact with an audience and they're like, okay, when I'm able to be close to that, that's when I know that. I'm fucking good at comedy, right? So, um, and there's a ton of other comedians out in the scene, man. It's just, it's a good scene for it and uh, a lot of rooms. So, yeah, if uh, anybody, when I think January 12th is when rooms start popping back up, uh, Comic Strip at West Edmonton Mall always has rooms. Yuck Yucks at Century Casino on Fort Road. Um, so, those are pretty much your everyday type of comedy scenes visit their website bunch of theaters and local bars have rooms across the city we'll see how that pans out um once it comes back on but uh yeah grindstone theater is a great place to see comedy and a bunch of local bars so yeah, yeah i find i find edmonton's a very creative friendly city yeah, I do too. It's kind of isolated from everything else, so it's kind of got its own thing, and it has different parts of the city where, like, uh, I mean, you have your white Ave, kind of like college, creative types, but then you got also got different parts of the city where people are doing cool things, so it's a good place for me right now. Yeah, man. I'm sure Edmonton loves to have you, man. Hopefully, you know, we'll see you back on the football field sooner rather than Hell later. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> hopefully. And I need then, to let out some of this quarantine steam. <laughs> and hopefully we see up. you on stage too, man. Hell you yeah. Uh, I appreciate you for coming, man. It's yeah, been a pleasure, man. Let me know anytime you want to come on here. My platform is your platform. Hell yeah, bro. You appreciate know. you. You guys know what it is, the Gifted Gab. Uh, make sure you guys are subscribed if you haven't done so already. And uh, tell your auntie. 2021 guys just like that we're gone